What a glorious privilege it is to be here today and worshiping with you, brothers and sisters. It has been so good and enjoyable to worship our King together and look at His glorious Word. We all know the typical Sunday school answer to this question. Why do we do what we do? The typical answer is to glorify God, right? What does this mean? It means to make God known for who He is and what He's doing. To show Him off. The true believer in Christ seeks to do everything to make God known. In order for this to happen, we must have our attention on God continuously. We must know and understand every event in our life is part of the plan of God. When we realize this, we are ready then to make Him known always. We are seeing that the self-focused apostles of Jesus have been radically changed in their thinking since the cross and the resurrection. They are understanding more and more the events that happened to Jesus were part of the plan of God. And so they are realizing that God is in control of everything, every event, everything that comes into their lives. The apostles therefore call on the sovereign hand of the Lord to heal the lame man. In chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 we saw this. And at the same time they realize... The healing was for a greater purpose, the glorification of the Lord Jesus through their word. Last week we saw that Peter healed a man born lame. And a man who had never walked was now healed and jumping and leaping for joy and praising God. At first glance we might be tempted to think that the pinnacle of the story has passed. But this could not be further from the truth. The pinnacle of the events does not happen until Peter preaches his sermon. Now we come to the pinnacle of the events. The miracle was just the divine introduction by God to the greater thing, and that is the sermon. The sermon was the power of God for salvation. Beloved, listen closely. The goal of all things Christian is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the exaltation of the Lord Jesus. The miracle of of Peter healing the lame man was not about Peter ultimately, as we will see. The miracle was also not about the lame man getting healed ultimately. The miracle was about the glorification of Jesus Christ. Again, it takes me back in my mind back to the day when I went to that Benny Hinn conference. <laughs> and I was reminded, and just thinking back through this, the quote-unquote gospel was given in about the first 15, 20 minutes of the conference, or the, what do they call them, crusade. And they kind of gave something somewhat, he kind of gave somewhat of a gospel presentation, And then he had everybody come forward if they wanted to get saved and, you know, prayed that prayer. And then he proceeded to begin talking about, come spirit, come spirit, 
This is what Benny Hinn did. And then he slayed his whole choir in the spirit, quote unquote, knocking them all down as he ran down the stage in a great theatrical hoax. And then he began to say, now we're at the main event. Let's, miracle, let's do miracles. Proof positive this is garbage. Proof positive. No, no, no. Biblical miracles look nothing like that. It's not about that. It's about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see today in the Word of Faith movement is blasphemous compared to what we see in the Bible. The gospel. Jesus came to die for sinners like me and you. So that we would find our satisfaction in Christ Jesus. He is our hope. Beloved, as we walk our way through this, you're going to see it. We as believers must view all that we do this way. We must understand, for by Him are all things. And through Him are all things. And to Him are all things. He created all things. He is sustaining and working through all things. And He is the goal of everything we do. When we understand this, we will do what Peter did in all things. When we understand this, we will look like the early church. We will seek the Lord more and we will serve God always. We will serve one another in worship to our God. Then we'll look like the early church. Notice from the very beginning, Peter makes it very clear what has happened is not about them. It's about God. Notice he says, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety we have made him walk? We'll explain this more in a minute, but ultimately we see Peter is not about himself. First, briefly, I want you to notice in our passage the setting for the sermon again. The setting for the sermon We see first the man, the lame man who is now healed, is clinging to to Peter and John. The man appeared to be overcome with appreciation and love for the apostles. He knew that God had used them and God was revealing himself through these men. So he could not get close enough to them. I want to be right next to him. He was literally holding on to him. You know, you understand that he is the perfect illustration of Acts 2.42. In Acts 2.42 it had said this, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Even this guy, after being healed, says, oh, I've got to be around this guy. I've got to be next to him. I'm literally going to hold on to him. I want to know what they're going to say because they're speaking as a mouthpiece for God. I want to know God more. That's what it's about. Tell me more. Show me more of the Lord who has healed me. That's what it's about. I don't believe the man was attributing the miracle to them as much as attracted to these men because they were the mouthpiece of God. Again, the important issue here is the man knew that being healed was not the end. It wasn't the goal. It wasn't about just me being healed. It's about... The exaltation of God 
to glorify God and know Him and enjoy Him and be satisfied with Him forever. That's the goal. Not to walk. Walking's good, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is knowing God because that guy was going to die. You understand? But he was going to be with God forever. That's more important and enjoy him. Notice also people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon or at the portico called Solomon's. The people's response to realizing the man had been healed was a stampede to see the source of this miracle. Now, beloved, this is the people seeking signs. They wanted to see supernatural miracles. They had shown this tendency of the Jewish people throughout the time of Jesus. As we will see, their hearts were not yet right as they stampeded and rushed to see the source of this miracle. And yet they were in full amazement. This literally means they were utterly amazed. They were astonished. They were greatly alarmed with awe. They were awestruck. Contrary to to the man's worship, I believe the people were not all properly interpreting the source of the miracle. The people saw the apostles as the source. But as we will see from the very beginning, Peter made sure to correct their wrong worldview. So now we see another moment has arrived for the Apostle Peter to present the gospel. Friends, this is like a baseball player getting a slow pitch across the middle of the strike zone. He steps up. You got people rushing in awe of what's happened. You got a crowd of evil saying, it's about you. No, that's a slow pitch across the plate. And he knocks it out of the park. He says, look at my Lord. Don't look at me. Peter steps up and launches the pitch into the upper deck. Peter saw the rushing crowd with wrong motives and wrong interpretations. And Peter saw a crowd of people in awe over the supernatural work of God. And Peter steps up and clearly explains the source of the miracle is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about him. Now, Peter's sermon breaks down into four main sections. We'll get to a couple of them today. The correction, the glorification, the confrontation, and the promise. Hopefully get through the first three at least. Let's start with the correction. The correction. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety we had made him walk. Peter immediately puts the brakes on. In effect, Peter answer, Peter's answer is to, to the stampeding crowd is this. Okay, so you're amazed. Make sure you don't attribute the power to us. Get that. We're not the source of the power. First he says, why are you amazed at this? He he starts, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? This phrase implies you are seeing power on display. But then Peter immediately follows it up with, why do you gaze at us? So Peter is saying, yes, something amazing has happened. But why are you looking at us as the possible source? And Peter 
develops this line of logic with his third phrase, finishing the question, he says, as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk. Peter's saying, men of Israel, we're just men. <laughs> we're just men. We're not the source of power. Nothing in and of ourselves is able or powerful enough to heal this man. And no amount of piety or religious works we have done has made this man walk. We are not the power source. We are not so righteous in ourselves to demand God's work. We have not earned an ear from God by our piety. Beloved, we see here a great display of true men of God. Please get this. They avoid any exaltation of themselves even when they are placed in a position of being used by God to do great things. You understand? I'll say it again. Listen closely. A true man of God avoids any exaltation of themselves when they are placed in the position of being used by God for great things. They knew the source of the miracle. They knew themselves. <laughs> they knew all glory and honor should go to the one who did the miracle from his throne in heaven. Oh, beloved. If only we could see this in, the, even, in, in even the most mundane of our deeds. This is where we miss it. I think all too often we, we go to those pinnacles and we have those great moments and we say, you know, that had to be God. But do you understand even in the most mundane things it's only because of God? Anything and everything that we do that brings glory and praise to God... Anything good or worthy of praise is because of God. Get that. Understand that. What Jesus had told Peter and John in the upper room before his death, they were believing and proclaiming. Jesus had told them, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You do something good? Dear friends, it's because of God and God alone. And the true man of God does everything or the true lady of God or does everything to get out of the way and to exalt the king. Dear friends, even Peter's correction is short of this wrong thinking of him. He doesn't make a lot of discussion in his sermon. Because his ultimate purpose is not to spend a long time even minimizing himself. Now think about that, what I'm saying. It's like, don't look at me. I'm nothing. It's about Jesus. Let's go on. He doesn't spend 15 minutes discussing how bad he is and how he's not worthy of being looked at. Because even in that, he would be exalting his own humility. <laughs> Get on to the subject at hand which is Jesus Christ, not us. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Later in Acts 14, we're going to see a similar reaction. And this time the missionaries just cut to the chase and they tear their clothes and show that they're just men, not gods. In Acts 14, 14, you see this. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, 
They tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying out, saying, Man, why are you doing these things? We're also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Oh, do you see it? True men of God. True people of God. It's not about us, right? Whether it's the great miracles or the small mundane things. Do everything to exalt the king, not yourself. Every true person of God pursues the exaltation of Jesus, not themselves. This goes for preachers and nursery workers. This goes for evangelists and homebound prayer warriors. Do you understand? This goes for Sunday school teachers, and this goes for the ones that clean the church. This goes for the doctor, and this goes for the construction worker. The exaltation of Jesus and the minimization of ourselves is what true believers do. In every way, we are living out the death of self in order to exalt Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Is that what you do? That's a great question, isn't it? Does your life reflect the exaltation of yourself or Jesus? Are you pushing to move ahead? Are you doing whatever you can to get ahead? Are you sacrificing for others or are you exalting yourself? Great questions, aren't they? You say, I want to do a miracle. How about this? Just exalt Jesus in the mundane. Change that diaper for the glory of Christ. Love your brothers and sisters even when they revile you for the glory of Christ. I want to look like the Acts. I want to look like the Acts 2 church. Don't you? I do want to look like them. I want to look like them all the time. Notice Peter now moves to the point, (laughs) the climax, the glorious point of the whole scene. Everything is moving to this point. It's all about this point, the glorification. Notice he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you disowned the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead a fact which we are our witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is the point. This is what it's all about. 
there was any passage in this whole section you need to memorize and understand, it's this passage, this section. When I label this section the glorification, many of us might have immediately thought of glorification. Isn't that a part of salvation? <laughs> no, justification, sanctification, glorification. No, 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 no. It's not talking about our glorification. It's not talking about us going to heaven. It's talking about the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ to his position of power and authority. It is the glorification of the power source. It is the exaltation of the reigning Lamb of God. Peter glorifies, he exalts, he magnifies, he worships, he proclaims the excellencies. He praises, he promotes Jesus Christ. Notice the glory of Christ revealed in this sermon. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, exalts Jesus perfectly, concisely, and powerfully. It's important to understand. Peter assumes Jesus did the miracle. Peter says, in effect, in effect Jesus did this. And he deserves all worship and honor. Peter says, in effect, Jesus is the source of this power because of his righteous reign. That's the point. So Peter in this section begins to reveal the source of this miracle. In the process, he glorifies Jesus. Notice the details of Peter's glorification of Jesus to the crowd. First, The one true God has glorified the source. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Peter is making it very clear to these Jewish people, the God of the Jews is the one who has glorified Jesus. Jesus is in the role of reigning Lord because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God, has glorified Jesus. Jesus has been exalted to the position of ruler and supreme Lord. Jesus has been exalted to the position by the one and only true God, the God of the Jewish people's fathers, the God of our fathers, he says. This is so loaded with rich meaning. Peter is saying the God of the Torah the God of the patriarchs, the God of Moses, the God of Joshua, the God of David, the God of the prophets, the one and only true God has exalted Jesus Christ to the position of supreme Lord. He's the one that is the source of all goodness. Mm. Yet at the same time, Jesus is called God's servant. (laughs) Look at that. Has glorified his servant, Jesus. Why servant? Because Jesus was the member of the Trinity who came to serve the other members of the Trinity in order to glorify the one true God. For God came to serve? The Son of God came to serve? Glory, isn't it? He came to serve and save a people for the only one true God. And Jesus, in his service, 
The Father now has exalted the Son to the position of glory. The Son has returned to the glory which He had with the Father from the beginning before the earth was and has sat down at the right hand of God. The position of authority to rule and reign over His people. As we sang in that song, you know He's the Lord of everyone. Do you understand He is king of the universe. And he does what he pleases. He is God. Ruling and reigning. Isn't this glorious truth? The glorification of Jesus is what made this miracle happen. Jesus determined and interceded in the life of the lame man. To heal him. Yet Peter announced the healing by the name of Jesus. But the point was only to make sure that all glory went to the Son, not to Peter and John. That's why he said in the name of Jesus. That's why he said it. He said it so that Christ would be exalted as the one who's doing it. The source is a place where power is supplied. I'm using the source as a title for Jesus. The reason I'm doing this is because... Peter is saying Jesus is the source of the power to heal. Jesus is the source. That's important. That's so crucial. Please get this, ladies and gentlemen. It's not my my words. It's not your words. It's not anything we do. It's Christ is the source. He's the source of the power, not only to heal physically, but he's also the source To heal spiritually. He's the one that changes hearts. He's the one that's Lord over every soul in this room. He determines whether you will believe or not. He is the source. Glory. Glorify the King. Notice... Next, Peter states, the source is the rejected one. The one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Oh, the one who had healed the lame man was the one whom the people Peter was talking to rejected. Peter says... Jesus was the one delivered and disowned. He was handed over to Pilate. He was rejected by his own people who who he had come to save. Jesus was rejected. He was forsaken. He was delivered. He was disowned by his own people. But this rejected one was now the supreme source of all healing. That's glory, isn't it? Beloved, this is one of the greatest glories of the gospel. What mankind rejected ended up being mankind's hope. Here's, here, here we see the height of the irony of the gospel. The one rejected was delivered and disowned so that he could deliver a people for himself. That is, that's just boggling to the mind. 
The one who was holy was delivered to death. And the one who was guilty was released. This happened ultimately to save the guilty who placed their faith in him. This is the height of ignorance for these people and wickedness. The guilty, Barabbas, went free and they rejected the holy, perfect king. Again, it's so important to realize God was working even through their wickedness and their ignorance to bring about their deliverance. That's shocking, isn't it? That goes totally against everything we think. That's God. And so he became the source of life because of their rejection of him. Why was the man healed? Because Jesus was delivered and disowned. Do you get that? Through one man's death and resurrection came another man's delivering power to heal him. Both physically and and spiritually. Through this one man, that same man came to deliver. Notice, the source is the holy and righteous one now. But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. Beloved, the heart of mankind is exposed here, isn't it? Left to ourselves, we disown the one and only holy righteous one. And ask for a murderer to be released. Do you understand? We are murderers by nature. Do you understand? Everybody in the room is born a murderer by nature. Do you understand that? Do you understand, beloved? This is all of our hearts apart from the gospel. In an amazing way, God knew Israel was so wicked, they would kill God himself. So he planned a way to deliver them from the power and penalty of sin through the rejection of his own son. Ah, this is amazing. This is amazing. The ultimate love of God for his people who hated him. <laughs> this is, this, isn't this not shocking? He says, okay, I know your heart is bent towards killing and murdering and rejecting. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to plan it so that in your wickedness you accomplish a glorious way out of your wicked hearts. <sighs> Man, this makes me want to scream. Is it not amazing? We cannot foil the plan of God. Even our wickedness can't foil the plan of God. The just for the unjust. The holy for the unholy. Oh, my dear friends, see the glory of the Savior here. Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The source of reconciliation with God is through the rejection and death of His Son. And the resurrection provided deliverance for all those who trust in Him. Why was this man healed? 
because Jesus had been rejected and yet rose from the dead and was reigning and he was truly the source of life. I think we could stop right there, right? It's almost like the pinnacle, isn't it? Which brings us to the next point. The source is the prince of life who died and now lives. Notice he says, verse 15, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact which we are witnesses. Jesus, the prince of life, he was the ruler of life. In his death, he was the one who gives life. The resurrection revealed this. As Jesus died, the people who... The people were, who murdered him were actually given away to have life through him. He rose from the dead and did exactly that. He gives life. <laughs> Why was this lame man walking? Because of the prince of life. Why was the man who had been unable to walk for 40 plus years now walking? Because of the prince of life. Because the prince of life died and rose from the dead and took his position of ruling and reigning and giving life. He laid down his life and he took it up again. He had the power to live and to give life. And he did it. We see here Peter gets it, doesn't he? Peter recognizes all source of light comes from the name which is above every name. Peter exalts Jesus. Peter attributes the power to heal to Jesus. Now there's something we must all be aware of here. The miracle again was only the minor subplot, not the main thing. The whole reason it happened was so that the people could get a better glimpse and know the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why it happened. Peter got it. Do we? What happens to us? Aneurysms. Mono. The death of children. Suffering. Pain. Trials. All things are for his glory. For the believer. The unbeliever, it's still for his glory. <laughs> Why does anything good happen in this world, beloved? Because Jesus won and is reigning. That's why. So worship him. And this is why we next see the source is the object of true faith. And on the basis of faith in his name, the blind, the lame man, rather, had faith in Jesus, no matter how small it was at the moment. On the basis of faith in his name, this means that the man had faith in the person and work and authority of Jesus. The object of our faith is the same. Oh, dear ones, one thing continues on and on and on. The object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the object. He is and was and will always be the ruling and reigning Lord. And He is the object of saving faith. 
His name is the name above every name. And we who have been saved by him will worship him forever and ever. Right? He's the object of our faith. And it was Jesus who was the power behind the miracle. The source is power behind the miracle. Notice and it says, on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. Again, Peter said, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man. Peter did not mean the name had some mystical, magical power. When Peter said the name of Jesus, he was referring to the reigning Jesus himself. The name of Jesus is a title referring to all that Jesus is, his person, his work, his position, his rule, his identity. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about him. The Psalms talk this way too. You know that? The Psalms talk about this regularly. Look at Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Do you see that? That's parallel. He's not saying, the psalmist is not saying, may the name of God of Jacob set you on securely on high. He's not saying, proclaim that name of Jacob and then you're going to be set. Just say those mystical words and then you're going to be set securely on high. Come on! That's what the word of faith people say, by the way. Just throw it out there. The name of Jesus, tack it on and you're healed. In the name of Jesus, come out of that man. They think some mystical, magical wand. That's garbage, ladies and gentlemen. That's the, that's the exaltation of the magician. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Yahweh, God. The God of Jacob, God of Isaac and Abraham. Psalm 105.3 says, Glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Wait a second, it's parallel again. Oh, so we take joy in this name. You know, we just say this name and it's okay, that name. No, come on, it's talking about God. It's pointing to the person and work and identity and glory of God. And he is the one we take joy in, right? Psalm 118, 26. Oh, this is talking about Jesus here. This is glorious. Blessed is the one, Jesus. Because it's talked about later in, when, they, when he comes in at the triumphal entry. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Guess who that is? Jesus, who comes in the name of Yahweh. He is God incarnate. And he has come we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. If you're blessed is the blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's praise to the one who comes in the name. Comes in the identity of Yahweh. We have blessed you for the house of the Lord. So ultimately you could replace the name of Jesus with this. All that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done... And all that Jesus is doing is the way that this man is healed. He's the one that did it. The person and work of Jesus has strengthened this man. 
Again, this is so different from anything we see in the Word of Faith movement, isn't it? It is a more, in the Word of Faith movement, it's more about that magical, mystical phrase in the name of Jesus. That people use, you know, it's really no different than the magician saying abracadabra. It's what they're thinking. The difference instead is, instead of abracadabra, it's in the name of Jesus. But this is not what Peter is saying. The miracle was totally different. I think that is the this is one of the most important things that distinguishes us. What we see in the Bible is not happening today. I don't see this kind. People exalting the gospel of Jesus, I don't see that. But I know people can exalt the name of Jesus. We can, can't we? Oh, stand with me, brothers and sisters. And announce the name of Christ Jesus who came to save. Find your days of refreshing and satisfaction in Him. For He is your satisfaction. Not your health. Not your wealth. Not your popularity. Christ is refreshing. He is satisfying. Find your joy in Him. Not the things of this world. All Peter was doing was announcing that Jesus was doing all of this from His throne in heaven. Next we see that not only did Jesus heal the man physically, He also had healed him spiritually. Look. The source is also the cause of faith. We see this. It says, And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Wow. Why do you believe? Why do we believe? Why did the lamb man believe? Why did the man have faith in Jesus? Why was he saved? Why did he have a heart that would trust in God for his own healing? Why? Because Jesus gave him that faith too. Came through him. Because Jesus made it possible for us to believe in him. If you trust in the God of the Bible, give credit to God. Beloved, look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Look at Philippians 1.29. For to you it has been granted, graciously given, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him. Oh, that faith comes from Him. But here you go. Add to this. But also to suffer for His namesake. There's you some grace gifts. Second Timothy 2.25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. See, even the faith came through Christ. The king said, he's mine. And the spirit worked and the, son, and the lame man believed and the lame man was healed by Christ for his glory. 
Again, we see all we... Again, we see a well-known reform doctrine here, don't we? Even our faith is given to us from Jesus. So all boasting is eliminated, correct? There is nobody in this room that says, I did it. We all say, He did it. And we rejoice in that truth, don't we? This is why Peter glorifies Jesus, because he knew the source of all good things came from Jesus, the name which is above every name. Eighth, we see the source is the prophesied Christ. Y'all having fun yet? Yeah, I'm enjoying too. The source is the prophesied Christ. Notice the things which God announced beforehand by the mouths of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled As we have already seen numerous times in Acts, Peter makes it very clear that despite the wickedness carried out by the people against the Messiah, it was still all part of God's plan, sovereign plan. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was announced beforehand. It came about just as God had promised through the prophets. So as Peter in chapter 2 did... He repeats the same concept with a little different wording. In Acts chapter 2, I don't think it's, is that, yeah, 2.23, This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. That's almost parallel to verse 18, isn't it? But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Oh, you know, the more I get into this and the more I think about it, and I know I didn't do it in my early days, I'm, I'm, I'm more and more convinced we need to preach the sovereignty of God from the moment we start talking to people. <laughs> Wait, Mike, is that supposed to be a part of your gospel presentation? Yes. Really? No. Yeah. He's doing it to these guys. Now, granted, they had a little bit of background. They had their Old Testaments. But, beloved, he's talking like all about God's sovereignty from the very beginning. Maybe it would help us a lot if we would start there. You know, we wouldn't have all these problems with everybody dividing in a church when, oh, you believe in Reformed doctrine? Oh, you believe God's sovereign over salvation? Yeah. I've known that from the beginning, haven't you? Now it is, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. The main point is the same point in both places. The death of Jesus at the hands of godless men was still under the sovereign plan of God. Yet at the same time, Peter not only exalts Jesus, he calls the people to turn. And he confronts them with their sin. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. He does it. What does he say? He gives the confrontation. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. 
But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient times. You know where I'm going with this next week. I'll make sure you come back. Look at this. Isn't this glorious? What does he do? Oh, isn't he gracious? I don't know about you guys, but he is gracious. He's beyond gracious. I don't think I'd just say you're ignorant. I'm not sure if I would say that. I think I'd be a little bit tougher. Would you be a little tougher? You killed my Lord! You murderer! And those wicked rulers you're following after, they're rebellious, wicked men. I don't see that. Do y'all see that? He said, you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. What? Now, ignorance means you you acted in not understanding, not getting it. Jesus had said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, that, that that does not minimize the sin of killing Jesus. You understand that that's the greatest sin ever committed. Do you understand that? By far, the murder of Jesus was the worst. But if we have a full understanding of the doctrines of grace and understand who God is, we won't do like Martin Luther did and condemn the Jews alone. You understand? I'm stepping past Martin Luther here. You understand? You acted in ignorance. You acted in ignorance. He acted in ignorance. Was, was wickedness and rebellion stored up in the heart of the Apostle Paul as he stood by and watched Stephen be killed? Oh, yeah. As he hunted them down. Yet he even describes himself and says, In my ignorance, I did. I even persecuted the church. Oh, do you understand? What does this do? It humbles me again. It humbles me again. For why do I know the glory of my Savior? Because God has opened my eyes to know his glory. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, there's blind spots in every one of us even after becoming a believer. We are constantly in need of a refreshing glimpse of our Savior. And just... As they acted ignorant, we can act ignorant too, even after knowing the gospel. How do we avoid this? Repent and return. Trust in the Savior. Seek Him. Know Him. Enjoy Him. I've got a solution to our planet. I've got a solution to our planet. 
I got a solution to the problem. You ready? His name is Jesus. You understand? If you know him, you will obey him. Otherwise, we will clean up the outside of cups. That's the problem with our country. You know, the problem with our country did not stop when we stopped praying. Really? The problem with our country is when they got their eyes off the King Jesus. And when they weren't trusting and enjoying Him. And ladies and gentlemen, I would argue most of the even early fathers were there. Really? Sorry. America's not a Christian nation. I'm sorry. Some of you all have heard different. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Many go that way. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And I think that applies to every country since Christ. I don't know of many countries that are seeking God with all their heart, mind, and soul. Does anybody in here know that country? Please give me that country. I'm moving. I'm moving. Repent and return, and he will supply refreshing. Turn to him. That's what he says. Hope in God. Turn to the all-satisfying one. Jesus will satisfy your soul. Repent and believe in Christ. Father, I am humbled by Christ and so fully aware of the sinfulness of the people and the sinfulness of my own heart. And that I, I, I'm still prone to be satisfied with the lesser things. God, have mercy on me. Oh, God, have mercy on these people. Oh, God, have mercy on our country. Oh, God, have mercy on this world. Billions and billions of murderers. Oh, God, why do you wait? Why haven't you just wiped this planet away? For billions reject you. Billions disown you. And yet you keep a people for yourself in the midst of this wicked and perverse generation. You put us down in this place to exalt your king. 
Oh, God, give us hearts that exalt Jesus always. Help us, God, to be satisfied with him alone. For we know that refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. You are good. You are kind. You are holy. You are just. We worship you now. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior.